0: Sleepcoolnow.com, dot com twelve twelve.
1: Welcome to hour number two. Of the world, according to Zig podcast. My name is John Ziegler. I am the host of this show, where we talk about the news of the week and the events of my often bizarre life, and where we provide you with a full two-hour oasis of honesty and rationality in the desert of insanity and deceit, which is the American media, cultural, and political landscape. In hour number two, generally we have our guest of the week, and we're very thrilled to be joined by a guy who I know a lot of you have already heard a lot about and are looking forward to hearing from. He is David Frum. He's the senior editor of The Atlantic, former speechwriter for President Bush, and he also wrote a uh, article which has gotten a lot of attention over the last week or so called How to Build an Autocracy about what we might expect from the Trump administration. Uh, David Frum, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
2: I'm well. What a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, there's so much to talk about, and uh, so let's just start with the how to build an autocracy, uh, article. I'm curious, uh, the nuts and bolts of this fascinate me because the story that you wrote, the article is very extraordinarily well written, well thought out, rather long. How did you get the idea to do this and and how, how were you able to be given? I know you're senior editor at the Atlantic, uh, but how did the Atlantic give you the freedom to do something like this?
2: Well, um, I was as surprised as most people were by by the election of Donald Trump. Um, I, I had I shared the conventional view that he couldn't win the Republican nomination and that he couldn't win um, the elect, the election. I'd become more and more alarmed by him over the course of, of the election campaign. Um, you know originally i I'd, I'd been I called it Trump curious. Uh, I am someone who thinks that I'm a Republican who thinks we need less immigration, that we need a more universal health care system and want a more middle class approach to economics, a lot of themes that Donald Trump touched. I was curious about him, but I became more and more alarmed. When he won, um, It became I became convinced this was very dangerous from the health of American democracy. I wanted to test my intuition against the experts. And so I sat down with a lot of people I knew from my White House days, White House counsels, um, people worked in the Department of Justice, and said, if you were somebody who wanted to do the worst things you could do as president, and not without... Starting a revolution without trying to do something visibly radical. How would you one by one turn off the safety measures in the American system of government? And so that's that was the origin of the article. They think how how would a bad man approach this problem? A bad man who didn't want to get arrested. And so the article very methodically goes through. Here are the the vulnerability points in our democracy, and here's how somebody would turn them off one by one.
1: Well, David. For- You know, I know a lot of Trump fans who probably haven't read your work because it would make their heads explode uh, don't even know how to say autocracy and have no idea what it actually is. But for the record, why don't you make your argument as to what you mean by the word autocracy and how you think that it's possible that this Trump presidency may lead the United States towards an autocracy?
2: When we think about repressive or authoritarian or tyrannical government, We conjure up images from the 1930s, secret police, um, dictators ranting into microphones, uh, militia men in the streets. And that's not going to happen. History doesn't repeat itself. Um, Instead, we live in an age since the past 15 years of what's called de-democratization. Democracies all over the world are going backwards. There are fewer democracies today than 2005. And they work um, not by terror, but by corruption. And they work not so much by repression, but by deception. Uh, one of the example I focus on is, as a working demonstration of how this can be done is Hungary. Hungary is a member of the European Union, a signatory to the European Convention on Human Rights. Um, it's going backwards, becoming an authoritarian state. And since this process started six, year, seven years ago in Hungary, there's not been a single extrajudicial killing. There's not been a single wrongful arrest. What there is is a corruption of the courts, a corruption of bureaucracy, massive stealing, um, and filling the airs, air with lies and disinformation, as independent media is steadily shut down, and not so much, and not so much the end of elections. They have elections, but a manipulation and a rigging of elections to make it very hard for the people who are out of power to get back in.
1: Now, when reading uh, "How to Build an Autocracy," I'm. The first thing that most readers are going to feel, I think, is fear. Would you agree with that? <laughs> Have you, well, what what has you You should be afraid. Okay. Well, maybe we should ask the question this way: What has been the reaction to to the article?
2: Well, the article starts with fear and ends with hope because um, the thing I stress this those of your listeners who know the famous Christmas Carol. We'll remember that when um, the ghost of, ghost of Christmas yet to come appears before Ebenezer Scrooge, she asks, are you the ghost of things, the image of things that will be, or the image of things that may be? And it becomes clear, it's the latter. This is a possible future. It's not a necessary future. And that's the theme of my article. We have been very neglectful of our institutions in the United States. Um, we've allowed them to go into disrepair. Our alliances, too, and, and the and the system of American global leadership. We've neglected all of that. Um, It's vulnerable, it's creaky, and it can be damaged. But it's also possible if citizens are responsible, uh, and we change some of our ways to step up and stop this, because the elections will continue to exist. The courts will remain open. An engaged and active citizenry can prevent the worst. And that's how I end this thing by saying this is, in my opinion, the most dangerous hour in American democracy that almost any living person can remember, not since the early days of the 1930s and the Great Depression. Uh, Have democratic institutions been in so much danger in the United States? But just for that reason, it can also be each of our finest hour if we will step up and commit to be better citizens and more responsible
1: members, more responsible consumers of information. Let me pick up on that last point you just made, because, you know, you say we have an opportunity. uh, You know, this is basically an opportunity for heroism. It sounds like if someone is willing to stand up to do the right thing. Yet, David, uh, I'm a cynic. And I don't think much of humanity, and I, I'm thinking less of humanity almost every day, uh, in part because of what Donald Trump has been allowed to do. And when I look at how Trump basically was able to pull off this coup d'etat, which is what it was, within the Republican Party, and then somehow win the presidency, no one did stand up. No one yeah. with, with the the power. Now, a couple people kind of tried. Mitt Romney kind of tried. but you know, but I don't think he realized that that he was not in a position to be able to stop it. But, but nobody really, nobody, no one was willing to sacrifice anything in order to stop this from happening before he got power. Why would anybody be willing to sacrifice anything now that he has power?
2: Well, that's a real danger. So the, the article goes through the various places where a dangerous president might be checked and shows how each of them is vulnerable. Uh, The first place we would expect the president to be checked is, of course, in Congress, Um, and that that has not happened. Congress has abdicated its its oversight. Um, You know, the the two most striking features of uh, Trump's government, the first is the utter contempt for all norms and expectations of clean government. Um, This is the least... We've never seen a president prostitute the office of the presidency for his his own and his family's financial advantage in the way that has happened um, since the election, And, and the second... Um, maybe even more alarming, is the penetration of American democracy by a hostile foreign espionage operation, um, but the Russian state security agencies. And oh, there's a lot about that that is we don't know exactly the details of, but there's no mystery as to the larger story about what happened. Um, Russian agents got hold of the emails of the Democratic National Committee of various Democratic Party structures and of private individuals like John Podesta. They published them through their agency, WikiLeaks, and then the Trump campaign used those uh, to its own advantage. Was there any kind of coordination between the Trump campaign and the Russians? That we do not know. It's such a horrible thought. We have to believe it didn't happen. But there, but we see that um, Michael Flynn, who would go on to be Donald Trump's choice as National Security Advisor, had a back channel. Uh, with the Russian ambassador, where he made commitments that America, the American officials who have heard the conversation have described as highly explicit and completely inappropriate. Um, so, that, so Congress is a, is a weak read. Um, you should not have too much confidence in the federal bureaucracy in the Department of Justice, and I explain why. Um, the media are less and less effective checks on <laughs> presidential power, and I explain why that is. Um, the courts remain robust. Uh, I don't think it's hard to compromise the courts, but it's easy to stay out of the courts.
1: Well, but see, I'm still wondering, though, who's the who is the group or the or the person who's going to stand up? I mean, we've I mean, my gosh, when we saw the behavior of Kellyanne Conway this week, for instance, people around Trump are certainly not going to do anything that would even potentially risk angering him, uh, which is, I think, an incredibly dangerous situation. So and and, and the Republican Congress is afraid of him, Uh, you know, to me. And this is this is where I struggle In, in reading your piece one of the things i thought i thought maybe you might be miscalculating a bit little bit is see i see the the trump uh presidency is very similar almost the inverse if you will the mirror image of the obama presidency and obama obviously got shellacked in the off year elections which completely changed his presidency if if the same thing happens to trump Either in in 2018 or let's say he gets reelected in 2020, when the the Senate map is really going to be bad for Republicans in comparison to 2018. Bottom line is, if he loses the Republican Congress, doesn't that change everything? And won't the Democrats end up getting all the credit for being the ones to stop him?
2: Well, if if the House flips in 2018, um, that will severely constrain Trump, not completely, but severely. Um, uh, if they do. Um, that doesn't look like a super likely outcome right now if his popularity continues to decline. One of the premises of the article, though, is that Donald Trump will not stay as unpopular a president as he is right now, because the broad when you hit, the broad outline of his economic policy is going to be stimulative. You have a big tax cut without big spending cuts. You run deficits. That's very expansive. That, um, that creates jobs. If there's an infrastructure plan, that creates jobs. If you do that at the same time as you more tightly enforce the um, immigration laws, that will raise wages. And it will especially, and I think a lot of the people who voted for him, uh, and, and I'm assuming also they're going to punt on the Affordable Care Act. That in the end, the Republicans are not going to be able to figure out what to do. They're going to, they're, they're going to sort of do something they can tell people is a repeal, but it doesn't really have any painful effects until after 2020. I'm guessing that's what's going to happen. Um, in that case. You can see the Republican, that Trump's number is actually recovering a little bit, and and that he the Republicans holding on in 2018. And the article posits that, you know, opens with this kind of fantasy scenario where he's reelected in 2020 because of um, this fiscal expansion. It'll lead to inflation sooner or later, but later, not sooner.
1: I understand all what you're saying, and timing is everything, obviously, in life, and and it's it's very very difficult to predict. Exactly, like for instance, when would inflation pop up and and you know what would be the uh, the political impact uh, of all that? But you know I, let me I want to get to to the, some of the specifics of the Trump presidency. Uh, but before that, David, back to your your piece on how to build an autocracy. One of the things that struck me in general terms, I think this is an important concept, at least as I read your piece, it, it really hit home to me, you know, my gosh our founding fathers really set up a system that while brilliant in many ways presumed that that the people in charge and specifically the president would effectively self police their own actions and right. i don't, and i don't think that they ever really thought about the idea that they might that someone might become president who's only concerned about themselves clearly doesn't give a damn about God or an afterlife or, the, or really anything else other than his own uh, personal self-interest, and, and that therefore the self-policing mechanism would be wiped away. A- a- am I right in that analysis?
2: Yeah. The, um, look, they, they were ready. They, they did have, especially Hamilton, from pretty dark imaginations. And um, they did contemplate the thing they most worried about and the thing that they most envisioned impeachment as the remedy for was foreign involvement in American politics. In the United States in 1789, 1787 I should say. The Constitution was adopted in 1787, Washington becomes president in 1789, was a weak country, weak even in its own hemisphere. And this this is a hemisphere in which there are English possessions and French possessions still and considerable Spanish possessions and all of those states were much more powerful than the United States. They they were very aware of the history of their own time, but there were a few republics around or near republics. In, at the end of the 18th century, um, and the, the, they were constantly manipulated by foreign intervention in their politics. And um, The Swedish states had been destroyed by English and French manipulations, and uh, they would, very soon after the adopting of the Constitution, uh, the Polish Commonwealth would be carved up between its neighbors after its institutions went into complete paralysis. Venice and Genoa, the two Italian republics, would be extinguished in the 1790s. And in every case, what the prelude to it was, a, hot, a more powerful monarchy nearby took advantage of the monarchy's single focus to be able to min- choose a faction. And so again and again they talk about the risk that a foreign state will take advantage of Republican institutions to manipulate the election for a president and install one of its creatures. Oh, come on. A, that would
1: like, never happen, David. Come on. That
2: would never ha- And that was the evil for which they designed the impeachment Well, mechanism.
1: thank goodness it didn't happen this time around.
2: <laughs> exactly. They worried about corruption. They worried about abuse of power, but what they worried about above all was that Spain or France or Britain would install a creature as president. And we faced a situation that they would recognize, I think. Um, and so that is dangerous. But they also, so they were not too sanguine, but what they they left us some, um, they they left us a lot of self-policing. But in the end, and this is where I finish, it depends on us. If you are mad enough, you don't want to live with, in a country where Vladimir Putin gets a vote in your elections, you can do something about it.
1: Yeah, but I just don't see that we I
2: I I personally Well here's what you can here's what you can do. Here I have two I have two things, two measures that I'm recommending to everybody as the measures that would make a real difference. And it's hard to pass these through Congress, but if you press enough, it'll happen. The first is we need an independent investigation of Russian involvement in the twenty sixteen election, not in Congress, outside Congress. Uh, headed by people well-respected and with an executive director drawn from the intelligence community who can read all the most secret stuff. And the second thing we need is a law requiring the Secretary of the Treasury to release the income tax returns of major party candidates for president, the sitting president, and the sitting vice president. See, but And that's, by the way, quite constitutional.
1: But, David, and I couldn't agree with you more that there should be an investigation into Russian involvement in the election, and my goodness, it's just beyond belief that even without the Russian aspect, uh, that Donald Trump was never forced to release his tax returns. But but see, this is where the media, I think, needs to be blamed, because the media is so impotent. And it's, and that's and largely because of fragmentation. See, the media still is powerful if they all work in, in, in unison, but now we're all in our own little fragmented bubbles. And so Trump's base is completely immune and inoculated from any of This, this is why he goes with the whole fake news business. The, rea- well, the reality is that the the media. If the media can't force him uh, to release his tax returns or force Congress to investigate this, then th- there's no other entity that could make that happen because there's nobody. Yeah. There's in no one's self interest to because yeah. no Republican in Congress is going to risk his his career uh, to get outside the herd and get crushed.
2: Right. So real. But so that's why it comes down to the system. Here's something about the media. that's important to bear in mind. Um, i think we many of us still mentally live in an old fashioned world in which um, the new york when you when you say the media conjures up the new york times and the washington post and the C, and cbs evening right. news and right. cnn right you have to start by accepting the most important media company in america is facebook and and the second or th- and maybe second maybe third most important is reddit and maybe fourth maybe fifth is uh, twitter and CNN and, and the New York Times are definitely up there. But far, the number one place where Americans get information from is Facebook. And Facebook does not accept that it's a media company. It doesn't accept any responsibility uh, for what it effectively publishes. And then the the other most, and the most important television network in the country, Fox, has a business model that rests on actively providing deceptive, untrue information to its audience. People watch Fox in order to be lied to, and the people at Fox know that. Um, And they have, again, a very, I think, parasitic business model. They ultimately destroy their own customer base, but it takes long enough that you can make a lot of money in the short term.
1: Well, we're, we agree on a lot about the, the news media, but, um, <laughs> but look, I want to ask you about some specifics. Because I know our time is somewhat limited with, with you, David, and I appreciate you, you doing this. But let's talk about, for instance, you've referenced a couple times Russia. And I think you and I are, are pretty much in agreement here that this is, you know, obviously we both want an investigation of what really happened. I'm of the belief, especially after CNN's report on Friday, that there is something to this Russian dossier, the the 35 pages that that BuzzFeed published. I don't know if all of it's true, but I think that there is an enormous amount of evidence, both uh, direct as well as circumstantial, and specifically the way that Trump and his people have responded to all this, that indicates that Russia does have compromising information on Donald Trump, or at least that Trump believes that they do. Does David Frum believe that Russia has compromising information on our president?
2: I, I don't know. I don't think that question is the, my top of mind question. Because, look, the question of why is Donald Trump doing what he's doing is interesting and important, but not dispositive. It, it's very possible that my friends who are the closest students of Russia I know hypothesize Donald Trump may just sincerely admire. Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is one of the top three, four, five, eight, ten richest men in the world, and Donald Trump isn't. And that's and, and Putin sits on top of an economy the size of Italy's. Imagine how rich you could be as a corrupt leader of the United States. And uh, Putin doesn't have to put up with neg- with criticism if he doesn't want to. Um, you know, his girlfriends don't come into public view. Uh, he can do what you know if he wants to grab women in whichever way he wants. They're only too honored, and anyway, no one can do anything about it. It's perfect. Uh, That may be the reason. It doesn't matter why. What matters is what. And here's what we can say. Donald Trump is bringing American policy into alignment with Russia in dangerous ways. He's already called into question um, whether we will honor our commitment to our NATO allies. Once you say that, as he said during the campaign, I don't know whether I would do it or not, no one can ever forget that information. Uh, Everyone has to take into account the President of the United States may not honor with NATO Guaranteed. Uh, he's already attacking the trade system on which NATO depends. is a security alliance built on top of a larger Western trading system. Uh, Donald Trump keeps conforming to Russian foreign policy on issues from Crimea to Syria, to the war in mainland Ukraine, which is going on right now, more than 10,000 people killed, hundreds of thousands of people displaced in Russia, and, and Russia. And the Trump people believe insane and absurd Russian claims like that Poland, our NATO ally, in uh, a, a democratic country, troubled in some ways, is invading Belarus or sending forces into Belarus, complete, which is a Russian protectorate and an authoritarian state, that's a complete delusion. And you only see it in Russian neo-Nazi websites, but the Trump people take it seriously. So we can see the pattern of what is going on here. Now, is it because they're blackmailing him, because they're bribing him, because he sincerely admires Putin, because Steve Bannon thinks that... Um, we need to make America Nazi again. I, I don't know. I, I assume we'll find out. But in the meantime, I, the, there's a great line that somebody has in a novel somewhere. Uh, he describes a city of many secrets but no mysteries. And that's what we're living in now. There are many secrets here, but there's no mystery.
1: Well, with regard to the whole Russian issue, of course, there's there's Mike Flynn. And, uh, you know, to me, the Washington Post story with nine different sources, which is just amazing, as you know, uh, yeah. would would have led to his immediate firing or resignation in any prior administration. I mean, right. I mean, do you do you, do you agree, David Frum, that uh, your former boss, President Bush, would have fired Mike Flynn or or demanded his resignation based upon the Washington Post story?
2: I think you'd have had him arrested.
1: You think you would have had him arrested? Yeah. Tell me, tell me about that. Tell me why.
2: Well, look. look. Um, OK, I may be exaggerating. The president can't have people invest uh, But look, this is not this is not a story about Michael Flynn. So here's what Flynn did. Um, the Russians intervened in the election to um, help Flynn elect Flynn's boss. And that's why Flynn has his president job. President Obama, um, who doesn't act during the election, but after the election, imposes some sanctions on Russia. And the Russians now have to consider what will they do about it. Flynn gets on the phone with the Russians with the Russian ambassador in Washington, says, please don't react harshly to this because that will complicate the task of bringing about good relations when we come into power. And let me assure you that we will undo Obama's sanctions as rapidly as possible. So just stay calm. Um, When word of this, when it becomes apparent, when word of this conversation leaks out, Finn says, says, I only talked to the Russian ambassador about the date of a possible um, Trump-Putin meeting. And he gets the vice president to go on television and repeat that lie. The Washington Post story has nine officials saying, um, actually, we were eavesdropping on the Russian, Flynn Flynn thought he had a secure line, but we had half the Russian ambassador's phone. Um, We've got tapes, we've got a transcript, which presumably means they had a tape. Um, And uh, that's not what they talked about. They talked about lifting the sanctions and they said, and Flynn's words, and this is the phrase I believe from the Washington Post story, were highly explicit and completely inappropriate. Or maybe it's just that inappropriate. Now, this is not a, uh, a Logan Act problem. This is not somebody being indiscreet. This is somebody working with a foreign government to manipulate an American election and giving them their reward for successful manipulation after the fact. Why doesn't Donald Trump go up and smoke? Well, why do we assume that Flynn was freelancing?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, it was work doing the work for Trump. I mean,
2: right. So, uh, so not only so Trump, not in some way or other, presumably. Was cognizant of this call, authorized this call, and in some way or another was party to sending his vice president out to tell lies about it. So it's not really a Flynn story. It's a Trump story. And it's, it's not about somebody freelancing and doing foreign policy. You know, there's a, people talk about the Logan Act. I mean, that's just, that's always silly because we never enforce the Logan oh. Act. When you read the Logan Act, it's ridiculous. Um, and. Not nobody on earth would have a problem if the incoming national security Advisor was between election day and inauguration day talking to his, you know, British or German or Australian or Canadian counterparts, saying, "Here's where we're going. I'm just giving you know giving you mm-hmm. a heads up on what our plans are." Nobody would object to that.
1: Well, David, you make a really interesting point, and it's one that can't be proven, but I think it's still worth pointing out that to do this logically, to think about this logically, you either have to presume that Flynn is a lunatic, which he might be and he decided to lie to pence on his own or uh, more or more logically to what, which way seems to be the way you're implying it went down trump told him to lie to pence and if that's what happened holy cow right i mean yeah, yeah. i mean because that goes really deep, really deep. I I don't honestly know which it is. Neither scenario is any good, but I think it's just as likely that that Trump told him because otherwise, I mean, he's not even officially in his job yet. You don't go lying to Pence unless you got uh, approval from the boss, right? Right.
2: Yeah. It's also possible, though, the way these things happen is the boss doesn't say, um, please lie to this person. What he says is, I want you to talk to, you know, just give the Russians this assurance. If anybody asks you, you say it's because of this. That doesn't mean, now go lie to Mike Pence. It just means right. anybody. And he, Mike Pence happens to, and then he does not protect. And then when Trump finds out about this, he doesn't care enough to protect Mike Pence. Right. But.
1: Right. Well, uh. just to be, just to be clear, though, to clarify, because you, you, you know, you had said that President Bush would have had Flynn arrested, and then you kind of said, well, the president doesn't do that. To be clear. Bush would have had Flynn fired, right?
2: Would have, but the point is
1: Is that it is yes? Incon, is it, that a,
2: it's inconceivable. Like the situation, yes, obviously, if, if you're conducting improper conversations with, um, uh, with a hostile foreign power, you'll be fired. Um, but the real scenario here is, is these conversations are not unauthorized. They're, they, they look like they're authorized by the president. And what we have here, actually, is a senior official of the United States government, the most important foreign policy official in of the United States government working, negotiating with the Russians their payback for throwing the election to Donald Trump. That, that, this is not like, this is not, um, this, this is a, a uh, if the facts are, they look like they are, and if Donald Trump, you know, authorized this, this is not, this is not just a, you're not going to fix this problem by Flynn resigning. Because if Flynn resigns, then the question is, well, who told him to have this conversation? Right. I, did, he, did he act on his own?
1: No, I get all that. I'm just I'm just I just think there ought to be some semblance of accountability here. And it's it's pretty clear to me that the reason why Trump wants Flynn there is that he's the guy that will do whatever Trump says. I mean, and 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 that's why this at least at this point, uh, Trump is standing by him and it'll be I'll be curious to see how how long that lasts. Now, speaking of people that he's standing by, uh, when in my view, he shouldn't and other presidents wouldn't have, I'll ask you the same question about Kellyanne Conway. What would President Bush's reaction have been had Kellyanne Conway from the White House done a commercial for one, for one of his daughter's product lines?
2: Again, it's just, it's just you can't imagine happening. Um, uh, I mean, he would have dressed them down and said, you know, you think, you, you, I'm sure you think you're doing me a favor. One of the things about George Bush was that, that kind of shuffling, aw shucks, genial guy thing he did on TV. That wasn't the real guy. He could be really like a pencil snapping kind of figure. He was a very intense Person. He was not like Reagan in that way. i I know you think you're doing me a favor. Don't ever do that again. And you broke you know you violated our ethics rules. you shame me, you embarrassed my daughter. That was no favor. Um, and then you would be sent out there to, I mean, it would not you would not have uh, the, the press secretary doing the apology for you um, you would have to go do it yourself.
1: You don't think she um, should you and, don't think she should have been fired for that?,
2: again, you know again, it, if it were, a one-time slip-up no I don't um, I I think you go out and, uh, let at this way: if, if Donald Trump were not Donald Trump and if Kellyanne Conway had just been an overzealous aide some sucking up to the boss by trying to ingratiate herself with her family I think she uh, and if she was someone who was generally doing good work for the public then you send them out to do the you know Japanese you know self-abasement of um, you know I I really apologize and I've been disciplined I'm Counseled, disciplined, um, you know, and I've, I've been, you know, I've been docked a week's pay, that that kind of thing. Um, but that, that's not what happened here. I mean, Trump is every day using the, the office of the presidency. I mean, he's promoting, he's using the, of the Japanese uh, prime minister to uh, promote Mar-a-Lago as a vacation resort. That if you pay two hundred thousand dollars in initiation fee and the monthly membership, you too can um, have a few private words with the president of the United States.
1: Well, and that gets us back to your your article, David, uh, how to build an autocracy for The Atlantic, where you're a senior editor. And and so let me, in our closing few minutes here, let me get get us back to that. Because one of the things that I am still left with, uh, even now three weeks in and through that incredibly long and insane campaign, I am still not sure I understand what the hell Donald Trump really wants. And and part of my hope, and since your article ended with hope, part of my hope here is that we're really just dealing with a pathetic dunce who just wants to be loved, as opposed to a guy who wants to be a tyrannical ruler and institute an autocracy in America. Uh, what is your view of what the heck Donald Trump really wants here?
2: He wants to be the richest man on earth. Um, and... He doesn't care what rules, norms, or even laws he has to break in order to do it. Um, he is somebody who, although he is thought of by many people as one of the richest men in the United States, even if we believe he, is, he doesn't have any debts and only has the assets that he claims, he still isn't one of the richest people in the United States, and he may have a lot of debts. Um, and he may have a lot of debts to some pretty unsavory people. Uh, we, don't, we don't know that because we don't have access to his tax returns. Um, but this is his opportunity to get Seriously rich, kleptocratically rich, post-Soviet rich, and he is determined to take it. But both by doing small, petty things like chiseling the government, um, you know, by charging the secrets, you know, staying at Mar-a-Lago and making the Secret Service pay to be there, uh, making the military pay for space in Trump Tower, you know, chisel here, chisel there, but also the the big things. Um, and I recommend to everybody that we read the story. I think it appeared on about the seventeenth of November in the New York Times about how. Major Chinese state interests are wooing um, the family of Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. Uh, Jared Kushner bet his entire family fortune on a New York City office building, 666 Fifth Avenue. Yes, that's really the number. And, <laughs> uh, and the deal went bad. He did it at the top of the market. The deal went bad. And very shadowy money has, has come to his aid. Um, and he has begun to do billions of dollars of transactions using the shadowy money, much of the foreign. Um, there's a strong smell around it that it's Chinese. We don't know that for a fact, but that's the way it smells. Um, that may have been the motive for why Trump climbed down from his pro Taiwan uh, position uh, that he took uh, during the transition. And th- th- that this is this this is the project to get rich on a scale that no American politician has ever been rich before.
1: David, I, I've been. Uh... So surprised by a lot over the last year and a half, including uh, Trump's uh, eventual general election win. I actually thought fairly early on, even before votes in the primary started, that he had a very good chance to win the, uh, the primary because of the, the fragmented nature of uh, the contest, 17 different uh, candidates and where I saw the conservative media industrial complex going And how willing I knew how willing they would be to sell out for ratings because their business model is broken. So that part didn't surprise me. But I'm curious from your standpoint, when you look at all the so-called conservatives, people that you've known for many years within the conservative elites, all the people who uh, either didn't stand up or ended up effectively enabling or even joining in to what Trump has done here, who or what surprised you the most in all of this?
2: Hmm. Um, you know, there are people who have surprised me on, on the good side. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to use names because when I say surprise, then that suggests that I, I didn't. But I there are many people um, who I have been impressed by. Really? Who stood up and spoken out. Like who? Um, you know, <laughs> uh, my former White House colleague, uh, Michael Gerson, um, okay. Chief Speechwriter to President Bush, uh, Pete Wayne, another uh, uh, White House colleague. Um, One of the most um, forceful uh, commentary magazines, which is a magazine that depends on reader support, Um, knowing that its uh, readers are often probably moving in a pro-Trump direction, they they have stood up and and been counted. Um, Bill Kristol, I think, has um, really been a powerful voice. And there are people who who have stood up. Um, There are people who have behaved shamefully who don't surprise me at all. Uh, I, I'm not surprised that Sean Hannity would be the mo- do the most cringing, abject, and, and sexually prostituted thing. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I, the idea that um, you know, if somebody said to me three years ago, um, "Do you think uh, Sean Hannity would ever mouth Russian propaganda on Fox?" So well, didn't Rupert Murdoch want him to? Then, then yeah, I think he would. <laughs> right, right. All right. Do I? Do I think? I don't think he literally eat a live baby on Fox, but. <laughs>
1: He might, but you know, he you might.
2: know he'd he want, he'd want it focus groups. Um, well,
1: well, it depends on what Trump said. If Trump told him to yeah. do it, he probably would. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But well, since you've mentioned a couple people from Bush world, what would your general uh, synopsis be of the state of Trump world's reaction to what they're seeing? I know how much the, the Bush family has revered the office of the presidency What is your sense of of what Bush world is thinking and feeling as they see what's actually transpiring here?
2: Um, The working politicians who despise Trump, which would include um, Bush world, which would include John McCain, which would look Lindsey Graham. uh, Understand that right now, all you do as a politician, if you get a Republican politician, you get into a fight with Trump is you get dead. Um, They are. Not going to be. They are not going to be the people who start this movement, but they are standing by, ready to be the people who finish it. Um, And so, you know, John McCain would be saying, "Look, I need three or four other Republican senators to stand up with me. Um, When those people are here, we can we can do this thing. We can't stand up an independent commission without a vote vote in the House, and the vote in the House won't happen um, unless." enough Republicans are putting pressure on members of the House of Representatives, and I don't want to be a martyr. A lot of people saying, I don't want to be a martyr. And certainly that's the Bush family view. They don't want to be martyrs. But there are resources distributed through the American political system that can be counted upon if you and I stand up. It starts with us, though. This starts with us. Trump was something the Republican base did to the Republican Party elite, and the way it's going to be undone is by um, people like us challenging our friends in the Republican world to say, do you believe in markets? Do you believe in honest government, you know, uh, you can, you know, of course you support your party, but you don't want to live in Mexico. I mean, this guy who's going to be the most anti-Mexican president ever is actually the guy who's making us more like Mexico. I want cops who don't take bribes. I want judges who are honest. Um, I I want public officials who live on their salaries. And uh, and Donald Trump wants the opposite of all of those things. But
1: but David, here's my cynicism again. See, I... I think that you and people like you and me are effectively like parents with a um like an 18 to maybe 22 year old kid who's on drugs and we're telling mm-hmm. them that this is bad for them and all they're doing is feeling great because they're on the drugs and it's not until they hit rock bottom and even then they're probably going to blame us for not having made sure they stayed off the drugs uh yeah. so That's not. I don't see how we win that argument. We're we're the the no fun guys. I mean, this is this is this is fun for these people.
2: Political change doesn't come about because you convince the most hardcore people with the opposite point of view. It comes about by one by one by one detaching people who are softly committed. Okay,
1: David. See, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I think Trump has changed that. That that is absolutely the way it's been pre-Trump. But Trump, I think, has fit, either by luck or by somebody's genius, whether it was Bannon or somebody else, I don't know, they're going to govern by base and by, by knowing that they have a, effectively become a suicide bomber to every Republican, knowing that they can pull that device and blow them up at any moment by taking away 30%, 40% of their base. And, yeah. uh, so, so I'm not sure. I don't agree with that.
2: Well, here's... If this change comes, and it may, you may be right. Your dark view you may well be right. Um, and then the first, that's the view of the first two thirds of my article. That may be the future. And then you know, uh, then we all go down stridings. I mean, I, I met lots of intellectuals and brave people in Hungary who, you know, even seven years in have not been able to save their country. Um, and maybe that will be true here. Um, and if it goes, I mean, God help us, because there goes the whole, you know, Western world. But if if it works out. The, the way it will work out is um, that there will be a lot of the, the, the people who voted for Mitt Romney enthusiastically in 2012 and who voted for Trump reluctantly in 2016. Those are the people who change view, and they decide, you know what, he just did one one thing too many for me, um, and they they soften. And as they soften, some of the Republicans from some of the you know more, uh, marginal seats begin to soften. And, as the House softens, there are opportunities for independent minded senators, of whom there are many not only really McCain and Lindsey Graham, but like Rob Portman um to stand up and say, "We need to investigate this is a great power we don't do not want to be a Russian satellite, and we don't want to have the Russians install their tool as our president
1: Well, I hope you're right uh, David um you know, it's been often said that, that no one ever got broke uh, underestimating the intelligence of the american people i I think similarly it's very dangerous to overestimate the courage of American leaders in, in politics or, or media, because uh, I've seen nothing but cowardice uh, in this whole situation. And, and by the way, in other uh, situations that I've been involved with, in both the political realm and outside the political realm, I think courage is dead. I I, I just don't think it exists anymore. And um, there are a lot of reasons for that. But I, it's very rare for anyone to do anything that's not in their own self-interest anymore. And unfortunately, what? and unfortunately. Our system is set up to, you know, one of the safeguards is that it was presumed that there would be good people of conscience to stand up and do things not in their self-interest. But they don't exist. And if they do exist, they're not in power. And, and so that's, that's really the reason why I'm, I'm more pessimistic than you are. But I, look, I hope you're right. Um, and, uh, last question. This is, this is off the wall. Um, but I am curious, as a, as a conservative intellectual, as you are, for The Atlantic, you have a remarkably large twitter following, which twitter is not a twitter is not exact not really a place for conservative intellectuals i mean uh, I, I'm, how did how did that happen? I'm very curious about that
2: I think it's all my tweets recommending books about military history that have done it <laughs> <laughs> really no. i I make a lot of jokes what can i say I make a lot of jokes um but i also um you know I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know why it works. I mean, but I have been, um, I make a lot of jokes on Twitter, but I also take a lot, I, I, take a lot, I, I like the medium. I like the the idea that you um, compress your thoughts into the 140 carats and you try to say something clever and incisive. And, um, you know, as a, when I was in high school, I studied Latin. And the, the Latinists are always trying to, because they had to chisel into rock their main points, they are they very sparing about their words. And so I'm trying, I've learned from this medium how to be very sparing with my characters.
1: Well, you, you do have a great Twitter feed, but I'm still amazed that uh, that many people, You know, again, not exactly the, the medium that's uh, particularly friendly to conservative intellectuals. But I'm glad you've been able to make it work. And if you want to follow David, do so at David from uh, on Twitter. David, uh, senior editor of The Atlantic and the writer of a piece that you got to check out, How to Build an Autocracy. Thanks so much for your time, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for your hospitality. Bye-bye. Thanks, David. All right, um, so make sure that uh, you go to Twitter and check out his Twitter feed. Before we go in this hour number two, I also want to reference that last week's uh, interview with Charlie Sykes uh, was the feature of a story on Mediite, as I presume uh, this uh, particular interview with David Frum will be as well. You can check that out at com. Charlie Sykes is an anti-Trump radio talk show host who has basically gotten out of the commercial talk radio business, much like I have. And I think you'll find that conversation in our number two of last week, February 5th's podcast, to be very interesting. One other story that I wanted to reference uh, deals with something that I think actually does have a connection to Trump, although I haven't heard anybody else make it, at least not in the way that I'm going to. Yale University esteemed Yale University, announced this weekend that they were renaming Calhoun College because the person it was originally named for, John Calhoun, was a ardent slavery advocate. Now, I don't know that much about John Calhoun, except for the fact that he was vice president of the United States for two different presidents, by the way. He was Secretary of State. He was Secretary of War. No known scandal, considering the period of time that he lived. He was a founding father of great esteem. And yes, he was pro-slavery. But guess what? Um, Almost everybody in leadership in that era was pro-slavery. Yale had previously looked at this issue because, you know, liberals have nothing better to do than to protest the names on a building or the name of a school and make themselves feel better because, you know, someone who's been dead for a couple hundred years uh, all of a sudden gets uh, their history wiped away uh, because they were pro-slavery during a completely different era. But they then changed their mind after further protests. Well, I have no inside knowledge here at all but I think part of at least subconsciously why they changed their mind now was because of Trump's election. And this is a classic example of how oftentimes what we think is going to be the result of something is the opposite of what ends up happening. You know, Trump part of his election was a I believe as a condemnation of political correctness. And that by the way that's one of the things that I was most looking forward to with regard to a Trump presidency. No more of this PC bullshit, because this is what this is. This is PC bullshit. And we're seeing it more and more. My own alma mater, Georgetown University, did something incredibly similar. They wiped the names off of two buildings of the two guys who saved the university from certain economic peril because they had the audacity to sell slaves that were owned by the university. Well, the reality is that I think liberal academia is feeling castrated. They're feeling impotent. They're feeling powerless. So now what do they do? Now that they've been rebuked, again, subconsciously, by the Trump presidency, I think we're going to see more of this crap where, since they don't control Congress, they don't control the presidency, the media isn't doing much at all. By the way, this is also... Why, you know, Saturday Night Live is now all so popular, because that's the 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 medium where the left is getting their rocks off. Yeah, we really stuck it to Trump this week. Did you see Alec Baldwin or Melissa McCarthy? Awesome. Because they control that. So they control Hollywood and they control academia. So I think we're gonna see even more PC bull crap out of Hollywood and academia because. They are feeling so powerless that they want to effectively show that they still have influence. Well, this is the little area over which they still have influence, so now they're just going to go bananas. I mean, the left obviously has lost their goddamn minds over Trump, somewhat understandably so. So now, in any area where they can still impact events, that's what they're going to do. So now they can't do anything for real, so now we're going to do this bullshit, like changing the name off of Calhoun College for a guy who, by the way, if you do this, see, this is the other part of the problem to me. Not only is it PC, not only is it at least a subconscious reaction to Trump, and but it's, it's the ultimate slippery slope problem. Because once you've done it to a guy like John Calhoun, then where do you stop? I don't see philosophically, what's the difference between John Calhoun and Thomas Jefferson? Other than, I guess, Thomas Jefferson likes slaves enough to impregnate one, apparently. I mean, is that is that the difference? If you, if, you, if you had sex with a slave, that gets you off the hook. Or I guess if you're famous enough, to, uh, like ha- Alexander Hamilton is, if you had a, a hit Broadway show name for you, then you get saved too. So if Calhoun, if someone had just made a hit... Broadway show about John Calhoun. Yeah, wouldn't have dared changed the name of Calhoun College. Of course, you know, obviously, since it would be a Broadway show, it would be left leaning anyway, but that's what Hamilton is. And Hamilton, I mean, this is, you think I'm making this up or being facetious or, or just trying to be funny. Hamilton got saved from the, from the, our money purely because of the Broadway musical. Without the Broadway musical, Hamilton would have been gone. To me, I don't know where this ends. And this is an injustice in and of its own. Because, see, Tim, I just don't think that we can evaluate someone all these years later based upon their support of something that happened to be legal at the time, which was slavery. There are all sorts of bad Wrong beliefs that lots of very prominent people had. That doesn't mean that we wipe them away from history or we discredit them for all time. And, and, and the, the funniest part of this declaration by Yale, is it, it, it's such a weenie decision. Officially, this is the way I interpret it, officially the name for Calhoun College has been changed but they're not dissuading people from still referring to it as Calhoun College if they feel like it. So if you still, so we don't want, and that's, that's my, it's not a a far-fetched interpretation, by the way, go read it for yourself. It's, it's the most PC weenie thing. Well, we're going to placate the liberal protesters by officially renaming Calhoun College because of John Calhoun's support of slavery. But If you are one of those people, we don't want to harm your feelings either. If you want to still refer to it as Calhoun College, go ahead. Wow. That is academia in a nutshell right there. And this stuff, ironically enough, even though it's, I think, at least subconsciously caused by Trump, it helps Trump because it gives him and his base the feeling that there's still something to fight against. They need an enemy. That's why they picked the media. You know, the media still left, Hollywood still left, academia still left, and PC, and so that's where they're gonna focus their attention. But this, you know, it didn't get that much attention, but I think this was an important situation. Even though Yale's a private college, uh, I, I think these things have a tendency to seep in to our consciousness. And I think they end up uh, influencing policy. And I think in the long run, we're going to start to see some really big names get shot down uh, when it comes to statues. Uh, We've obviously seen it with regard to the Civil War already. So, you know, the left has basically eliminated the South in the Civil War. I I think eventually we're going to get to a situation where many of our most prominent founding fathers that don't have hit Broadway musicals named after them are going to be in great peril as well. As is always the case, I ask only two things of you. If you like this podcast, please share it. Tell others. Share it on Twitter. Tag me. I'll retweet it. Share it on Facebook. I'll like it and share it, what have you. I do this for free simply because I think there's an important perspective from the conservative standpoint that's not being voiced in the now state-run so-called conservative media. I hope sincerely that you enjoy it, but all I do ask is that If you do, let people know about it because that's about the only way people ever will know about it. And the second thing is, for your own good, if you're one of those people who sleeps and you use sheets, make sure you listen to this important message. Until next week, my name's John Ziegler.
0: Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should. Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheik's. S H E E X. Sheik's. Try Sheik's for 30 nights risk free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com. Promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com. 1212.